Good morning, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM WDWS. For nearly seven decades, Champaign-Urbana's daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join it on the phone, via text, or online. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Or email us at talk at wdws.com. Now... Here's your host, Brian Barnhart. All right, for the second day in a row, this is not your host, Brian Barnhart. This is this is Tom Kasich sitting in for Brian. I'm here with uh, my buddy Jim Rosso, and our guest today, this morning, is T.J. Blakeman uh, of the Champaign County History Museum and also a planner for the city of Champaign and a dad and a husband and all the other stuff he is. Good morning, TJ. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming in. Of course. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. Um, Tom, I'm looking out to the window, seeing the pouring rain. So it's probably a good day to work, right? Yeah, wondering how that impacts the, the police ceremony at Westside Park, which is supposed to be happening right now. Somebody may can update us, maybe. Yeah. Maybe it'll just last a couple minutes. That's what TJ said, right? All right. Yeah. Expert meteorologist. Yes. He's got access to the radar. Well, uh, TJ's here to talk about the 50th anniversary of the Champaign County History Museum, which is, and you are planning to celebrate all sorts of thing, all sorts of events this weekend, but the rain is going to We are. Something. So this has been our anniversary week. Technically, the uh, museum turned 50 on Wednesday, and so we've been celebrating all week long, and it's supposed to culminate in our big anniversary celebration tomorrow from 10 to 5, although we just made the decision this morning and we hated to do it. We're going to actually push that event back to Sunday. I don't think I've watched a weather app more in the course <laughs> of a week than this one, and it just, everything is pointing to disruption. Um, our popcorn that we pop in the popcorn wagon would taste terrible in the humid, wet conditions. Our tours would be interrupted, our historic walking tours. So <clears throat> we hate to do it, but we're going to push everything back uh, exactly as it was on Saturday, but we're going to push it back to Sunday, and it's supposed to be beautiful, yeah. sunny and 66. Yeah. So I apologize. If anybody is out there um, who has a ticket to one of our history Walks. We will be getting in touch with you this, uh, the, today. We will honor those tickets on Sunday, and we'll actually let you pick. Uh, if you can't do the morning but you want to do the afternoon tour, you can do that as well. And so we'll be really flexible with you in hopes that we um, get everybody, that we're able to accommodate everybody. But we're going to make the change and move it to Sunday. So you're really going to contact all those people who bought tickets? Well, fortunately, Eventbrite makes it easy. We're going to they have the ability I can just email all oh, the participants good. that bought tickets. That's yeah. the beauty of buying them online. Good. And so you you should be getting an email from us and as soon as I I get done here, we'll update the website with more details as well. Um, so I apologize to to all the listeners out there who are planning to join us, but help us spread the word, tell people to come out on what is supposed to be a sun-drenched Sunday with beautiful 66-degree yeah, weather. Yeah, a little cooler, probably less humid, too. Yeah. So you still have this flag raising at 10 o'clock? That's the plan. Okay. Uh, again, we'll just try to move everything exactly as it was on Saturday and try to do it just as it was on Sunday. But it, it should be a fun day. We had 
Lots planned. We were bringing out the popcorn wagon. Everybody loves our old Sansone popcorn wagon. Um, we were going to bring back our lemonade shake. Or I say lemonade shakeups. Our lemon shakeups, uh, which we haven't done in a long time, in probably six or seven or eight years. Those are from our Taste of CU days. And little fun fact that the History Museum actually started the Taste of CU. Uh, it was a fundraiser for the museum. That's how it got started. And then it was passed off to the Park District. And uh, they ran it for however many years, yeah. 35 years or something like that. So when was it, when did you guys start it? Um, I, I think it was started in, yeah, like 79 or 80, wow. somewhere in there. It was on the downtown mall. Oh, it wasn't in yeah, the well, Westside Park. And then it got yeah. to be too big for the mall, so they moved it to Westside Park. And, um, you know, we've got a ton of pictures from those early days. We've got maps. It, it was really fascinating to see. Pretty much the same concept. Local businesses got together. I think maybe the health permits were different back then. It seems like much more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of <laughs> event for restaurants. But now it's a much bigger production to move their operations to the park. But, uh, yeah, that was a, an event that started with the Champaign County History Museum. It mm. was their biggest moneymaker back when they opened in the Wilbur, uh, in the Wilbur Mansion. We're talking to uh, T.J. Blakeman of the Champaign County History Museum if you have any questions or comments or remarks, uh, the number is 217-356-9397. And you can also text in on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. But give us a call, 356-9397. So w- what do you have planned, you know, specifically for uh, now, Sunday? So we'll start with uh, our flag-raising ceremony, um, and then we'll jump right into our first walking tour, which uh, starts at 10 o'clock. They last about an hour and a half to two hours. Uh, this is a brand-new one. We're debuting a brand-new tour, the history of the theaters of downtown Champaign. Perry Morris, who is our community's foremost expert in theater history, is going to lead that one. We've, he's the vice president at the museum, and we've been um, – We've been begging him to do this tour for years, and so then we finally just scheduled it and said, okay, you got to do it. And so it's going to be great. Um, so how many sites would he be stopping at? He – I mean, I don't – like I haven't seen his list. No, there's more than that because there's a lot of theaters, of course, that have that are no longer there. Yeah. We have five theaters in downtown, which is remarkable for a yeah. city our size. Yeah. But there were a lot that were torn down as well, and they have interesting stories in of themselves. So we have pictures and things that we'll show along the way. And he'll give some details about all of those. Um, so that tour starts at 10. Then when it returns at noon, then I start my tour. So I do a regular, although I haven't done it in a couple of years because of COVID, I do a downtown history walk. And um, people, I get lots of great comments about that. We, we spend two hours just, it's not scripted, completely unscripted. We walk around. I have tons of pictures that I hold up and show. We talk about – every tour is different because it is unscripted. And so um, I hope people learn just a ton about their community. And, and how long is – that? will be mean, like uh, distance. For, uh, for distance. People. So we make kind of a big loop. I'd say it's more than probably a mile of walking. Um, I talk a lot. And yeah. I don't ever stop. And answer questions. And I answer questions. So it probably will go full hour and a half, two hours, and then we'll come back to the museum. And then Perry's got another tour at 2 o'clock, another theater tour, and then I have one more uh, downtown history talk or tour at 4 o'clock. And in between there, we will have the cake, the birthday cake. We will have popcorn. We'll have lemonade shake-ups for sale. Lemonade shake-ups. It's lemon shake-ups. Yeah. I, I, it's, 
it's stuck in my head. <laughs> Lemon shakeups for sale. And tours the museum. I, you know, people, I, I hope mostly people come in and see the exhibits we have. Um, we were really lucky this year. We were very fortunate to be named Small Museum of the Year by the Illinois Association of Museums. We're incredibly proud of that. Um, it shows all of the hard work and dedication that's gone into rebuilding the museum over the last five years. And so we hope people come in, see that. One of our exhibits, our Illinois Traction exhibit, also won mm -hmm. an award from Illinois Association of Museums. So come in and check it out and uh, spend some time with us now on Sunday. I believe we have a caller. Amanda's on line one. Oh, call ended. Sorry. Oh, that's all right. We'll we'll get back to that. Uh, our number again, 217-356-9397. T.J. Blakeman has all the answers or will <laughs> attempt to answer all the questions about local history or about the History Museum or just buildings and people of our uh, wonderful community. Uh, so uh, uh, what kind of exhibits do you have right now? So we have uh, three permanent exhibits and, and one kind of art installation upstairs. The three permanent galleries, uh, the, the big one, uh, our Illinois Traction Exhibit, which talks about William McKinley and his electric train service that he built um, from the early 1900s through the 1950s. Uh, this is the system. It's a tremendous story. And William McKinley, of course, was from here in Champaign and went on to become U.S. congressman for years. He ran William Howard Taft's presidential campaign, ultimately became a U.S. senator. But in the middle of that, he found time to own the power company, Illinois, to found the Illinois Power Company and yeah. to found the Illinois Traction System and, and also travel the world. I think he was probably one of the most traveled people in the country. Um, so he has a remarkable story, and that exhibit walks you through uh, him as a person, the development from uh, you know, horse-drawn rails in cities across Illinois to the electrification of those rails and then the linking of cities, uh, small and large. You know, that system transformed Illinois from a time when there were just dirt roads right. and you couldn't get between cities. This system really opened up, even more so than steam locomotives because it would stop in every small town. Mm -hmm. And so that meant that every small town across central Illinois that this thing went through finally had a strong connection to a major city. You could now, if you were a farmer in St. Joseph, you could hop on the train on the interurban and go into Champaign, do your shopping or whatever your business was, and come back in the same evening, right. which was a shocking change for people. Right. And, of course, it also led to the electrification of many cities because as the train, as the electrified train came through, William McKinley also sold you power. And so uh, it, it's, a, it's a terrific story. So that's in one of our exhibits. One of our other exhibits is close to the News Gazette's heart, which is uh, Marijan Steve Kinigo, the uh, daughter of the founder of the News Gazette, D.W. Stevick. Uh, she was a, an amateur artist, um, had her villa in Italy, and when we acquired the News Gazette's uh, um, historical collection back in 2020, a big chunk of that was some of her paintings. And so before we put them into storage, we felt like we had enough there to do an exhibit. So we talk about her life. Uh, we talk about – we show her paintings. But mostly we also talk about her villa that she had in Italy, <laughs> which she kind of ran. You know, I don't know if you knew this, and Jim, I don't know if you knew this, but – 
the News Gazette was an international organization. We have letterhead now in our collection that shows News Gazette letterhead from Torre di Civita in Italy. So you had letterhead where she was conducting the business of the News Gazette from her home in, in Italy. And so we have these paintings. They're beautiful. She had this beautiful mountaintop villa, and she painted from it. And so we have those on exhibit. We also have her guest books. I know folks around here have seen them, but uh, the page we have open is the page when Jackie Kennedy, first lady yeah. of the United States, and, and a very young Caroline came to stay, and we have their signatures in the guest book. Fascinating. Uh, her story is fascinating, of course. And then we have a new exhibit on photography, early uh, photography and photographers in Champaign County from about the 1850s through um, the 19-teens. And uh, we talk about some of the photo studios and some of the independent photographers. We talk about the technique of photography, the early technique of photography, really fascinating, kind of a technical exhibit. And then we have another exhibit. Our art exhibit is... um, is Bob Zupke and his paintings that he um, painted. He sketched out a series of sketches when he was in Cuba, in Havana, Cuba, for Ernest Hemingway, his good friend Ernest Hemingway's wedding. And uh, so we have uh, items. We have his paintings or his sketches. And then we talk about his life. He did everything from, you know, uh, furniture advertisements. He, He illustrated comic books. But, of course, we know him best for being, being a football coach. the greatest Illinois football coach, you know we've isn't ever that amazing? Had. It is. That's a that's a really fascinating history. Yeah, I think that the most successful guy, football coach guy that brought Red Grange here, was also a a pretty good artist. Yeah, and knew Ernest Hemingway. Well, one of the first <laughs> one of the first questions was, well, how did he know Ernest Hemingway? And it turns out, Ernest Hemingway, Bob Zucky, before he became Illinois coach, was the head football coach, and now I'm blanking. It's a Chicago school, Chicago suburb school. It'll come to me. Uh, before he came to Illinois, he was the head coach there. Was it Oak Park? I think it was, yeah. yes. And uh, when he left to come to Illinois, Ernest Hemingway, I think we did the math, would have been an eighth grader at That's right. the school. There you go. So nice. we, I would get – my belief is that Ernest Hemingway probably played football – my question is, did he recruit him? You know, did, uh, could we have had Ernest Hemingway yeah. as a tailback for Illinois? <laughs> Blocking for Red Grange. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, uh, that's it's a, a neat, great connection. A neat little connection there. Yeah. Uh, really random. But then, of course, they stayed friends yeah. through the course of this, and it's so much that he, he attended his wedding down in Havana, Cuba. Huh. Yeah. Well, again, we're talking to T.J. Blakeman, Champaign County History Museum, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this week with – Big events now going to be held Sunday. Let's take a little break. Hope we get some phone calls. 217-356-9397, and we'll be right back after this word. Okay, it's 925 on WDWS. Penny for your thoughts. Tom Kasich hosting today for Brian Barnhart, and our guest is T.J. Blakeman of Champaign County History Museum. Give us a call at 217-356-9397 or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Earlier you mentioned uh, the Taste of CU. Have you heard anything about whether that's going to be held this year? I know it's not your baby, but... Yeah, I I don't believe it is. I think the Park District, in fact, I'm not sure there, it may not come back. Uh, from my understanding, so I, I'm not 100. percent I don't want to speak for the park district, but I, I, 
do know that this year it's not happening. Okay. They're they're supplementing it with other events. I know they're working on creating other types of events in different parks and right. And, yeah, it's the same thing that happened in Urbana when they dropped the Sweet Corn Festival. They yeah. just said, we're, "Well, we're going to do s- several smaller events to make up for that." So, well, life goes on. But how about uh, can you give us a little? Bit a little taste of what was going on in say 1970 that prompted someone or some group to begin the History Museum. Yeah, I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact uh, the bicentennial was coming up, and I think that from what I've read and what I've talked to people who were involved, that was a big part of it. There was a lot more federal spending on the creation of museums and things that tell the American story. And so local groups were thinking about that. And I think those bicentennial plans, it seems like, um, then kind of got preempted with the idea of, well, let's start a museum. And so I think that's really how it, it started to come about. There was this groundswell of, of local history. People wanted to know yeah. more. Yeah. And if you look around the country, I think you'll probably see that, that around, you know, in the lead up to, to 1976, a lot of organizations saw big boost or were created during that time. So I, I remember there were little signs put up at places all around the community mm-hmm. that they were historical. You know, there's a red, white, and blue. Yep. Was that done by the museum or some other committee? Do you know? Yeah, I think – I don't want to overspeak. I, I think it was uh, because they were the historic sites of Champaign County, yeah. and we have a book that the museum published that lists all of those. And so I think that book went with those signs, and um, there are very few of them in existence. But one of our board members, Rick Williams, history teacher, yeah. loves this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, when he was – this was a couple years ago – when he was on summer break, he started going around the county, each one of those sites, and finding them. And some of them he had to, like, climb out into wooded areas that are no longer accessible and talk to people. You know, there, yeah. yeah, I think there used to be a sign there. Yeah. He went back and found all of those rural sites, and then he, he did a talk on it at the museum. And you can actually watch that talk on our website. All of our past uh, speaker series talks you can get on our website, and that's one of them. But we've talked about going and trying to reprint that book um, re-identify perhaps there's new landmarks right uh yeah. times have changed oh, yeah. we would love to do that we just need we, we need more continued community support we need more members right uh in order to make th- that kind of programming happen uh we need more members because members bring our revenue and generate more interest uh again tj blakeman three five six nine three nine seven. well you mentioned you mentioned the, the bicentennial and you know what's coming up and Four the years. Semi-quincentennial, I, is, I think you, that's the name. I have I no think idea what yeah, it would have been. 250, 250 yeah. in, in, uh, in 26. So it's right around the corner, and there have been efforts. The federal government has made efforts. They've created committees and things, but it certainly is not getting the same level, I don't think, as the lead-up to the bicentennial, which is too bad because, you know, you only, I, I didn't get to live through the bicentennial, and I won't get to live through the 300th. Right. So this is the chance for certain generations, the only chance to celebrate that kind of big seminal milestone. But it's coming up. You guys must be thinking about it, right? We started to, um, you know, trying to align what kind of long-term programs, trying to figure out if, if we can uh, convince the community to get behind larger efforts, and, and so we'll, we'll try. All right, we're going to take another break, this time for news and a few other commercial announcements. 
uh, brought to you by First Mid Bank and Trust, providing financial solutions since 1865. Visit firstmid.com to find out more. Hey, back on Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Tom Kasich, and we're with T.J. Blakeman of the Champaign County History Museum. Uh, give us a call at 356-9397. Uh, ask us any questions about Champaign County history or Champaign-Urbana history or people of the community or the 50th anniversary of the Champaign County History Museum, which is being celebrated this week, this weekend. So who were the people that really pushed for the creation of the museum? Well, so it, it started as a, an interesting collection. It was a lot of different organizations in town from the, there was a historical society, there was the Junior League, um, there was a, um, like a reading group. Uh, there was a whole list of them. And they all sent representatives to kind of have this conversation about a museum. And they ultimately ended up continue to have dedicated board seats for each one of those organizations. And so it was kind of a unique organization when it was set up by, you know, it, the museum was the big organization and then all these other organizations kind of fed into it. And that stayed around for a decade or so. And then um, ultimately it, it just became a board that was elected by its members. But, um, you know, quite a few notable people, um, there's a whole list. I'm actually. I, I'm not. I won't go start listing names because I know I'll forget them. Well, there's if, somebody you just we just talked about during the break that's still here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's. Um. He. He. Mary and Lou Lier, uh have been tremendous supporters of the museum. I want to. If Lou, if you're listening, I want to just say I appreciate your continued support. Um. They were. Uh. They absolutely. They were both board members. They both served different terms. Um, Pat Miller, I give Pat Miller a lot of credit. She was the first executive director of the museum, and um, you know she brought that professionalism to the museum and started to build the collection from nothing. And so, um, you yeah. know, I, again, the, if you go onto our website, we actually just posted a story, and you can read all about the history of the museum in that story. Uh, it's on our blog. And it talks from the very beginning all the way through today. But there have been over 160 individuals who have given their time, who have volunteered their time, and, and given their effort to keep the museum running as board members. So over 160 board members in our 50 years. I went through and did a little exercise this past year and went through all the minutes and identified all of them. So we know year by year who was on the board, who was the president. Um, and I've published that in that blog as well. So you can just look at this big, long list I saw that, of yeah. all these people. I think that's really important. You know, I This museum is one of the few museums in the county that is supported entirely by its donors and members. We don't have um, a, a taxing district attached to us, so we have no access to public funds on a yearly basis. So we rely on the public's goodwill and and um, generosity to keep our doors open. And of course, over the 50 years, it has led to some pretty dramatic highs and some pretty dramatic lows um, to the point where the museum nearly failed. And it's been the community support to say, no, we need this to stay around and we want to get behind it. And that's what happened in, in 2015. 
um, you know, the museum was on its last breath, yeah, yeah. literally. And um, the the transformation we've seen has been remarkable. And it's proof, there's evidence there, that the community will support it. And so we, we want to continue to look at ways to not only exist as we do today, but how do we continue to grow? How do we um, have perhaps a larger space where we can do more in-depth exhibits, which then brings more revenue into the museum through visitors and programming, which then allows us to continue to hire more than our one part-time staffer. Yeah. And so uh, I think it's important. I'm very passionate about the topic. Um, I would talk for hours and on end about the topic. But I hope the community um, realizes how much they mean to the museum and how it's only through their support that we can continue, continue to exist. That's so right. I would encourage people to become members. You can do it right on our website. What better day than on our 50th anniversary? Good for you. I, I know you're, you'll be modest about this, but you had a lot to do with the transformation and the recovery of the museum. And we now have a caller. Go ahead, Kim. Line one. Hi there, TJ. This is Kim Robeson. Hi, Kim. And Lou is at his eighth Grade, his granddaughter's eighth grade graduation, but I'm sure he would love to be talking to you. He is the the museum's biggest supporter and cheerleader, as he is for many things. And I just wanted to say I remember being at Westside Park at the Taste of Champagne with the um, popcorn wagon in the 70s. We, he had me and his daughters out helping pass out the popcorn. So I really hope to be there on Sunday, and it's such a great Thing you're doing, and he's really impressed by everything you're doing over there and well, everyone else. Thank you so much for that call, Kim. I, he, I just saw him at Kiwanis the other day. It was good to get a chance to see him in person. And uh, yeah, I know him and Mary. They they talk us up all the time, and we certainly <laughs> appreciate that. Any any word of mouth uh, publicity that we can get is is a good thing. So thank you so much for the call, and I hope I'll see you on Sunday. Yes, and, and Mary, too. I didn't mean to not mention Mary. And he he was passing around on email a photo, I don't know from what year it was, of Mary and Lou in front of the museum, and it's just an amazing photo. I think he got it from you. Yeah, it's on and that. So, it's in that blog post. Uh, it's the two of them standing in front of the Wilbur Mansion right before the purchase, I believe, in 74. And, yeah, let's give Mary credit. She was the first one on the board. Lou was the yes. – he, he was later to the game. So Mary's <laughs> the force there. <laughs> right. I I will I will second that. Well, I, thank you for everything and hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks so much, Kim. Thanks for calling, Kim. Uh, bye-bye. I uh Kim mentioned the popcorn wagon. <clears throat> you know, that is that is like our showpiece, right? Everybody loves to see it. I the best thing about driving the popcorn wagon, and sometimes I have to drive it around town to an event or something. Just like in many classic cars, the best thing about the popcorn wagon is that whenever you drive by someone, everyone smiles and waves. Like, they just love to see it. It's nice to see. Yeah. Um, And the museum bought that wagon. You know, it was was thanks to this show. It was uh, called a Larry Stewart. There was – and the the story of purchasing it is in that that, uh, blog post as well. But the museum – uh, Jeannie Rochford, Rothford, Rochford, Rochford. Um, Rochford, yeah, and some others had this idea. You know, I rem- they remembered this old popcorn wagon, and they thought, what a great way to raise money for the museum. And so, when they started looking for it, though, they couldn't find it. And um, Jeannie McCumber 
was the owner. She bought it from the Sandstones and ran it for a little while on campus, and then it kind of disappeared. The the way it's been told to me is that it appeared that a, that a call to Larry Stewart here on the penny for your thoughts um, led to finding it in a barn in St. Joseph. That's the story I've been hmm. told. So the museum bought it. Uh, they started to use it, and it was pretty evident that it was really in rough shape. And the museum actually almost this is this was kind of new to me when I was doing my research. They tried to sell it. They were going to sell it, and the community came out. There were editorials in the, in the News Gazette uh, <laughs> that they can't do this. They can't sell the popcorn wagon. And so they didn't. They they went, they pulled back on it. They saved it. They um, The MTD stepped in later on and completely That's kind right. of rebuilt it from the ground yeah. up. And so we are continuing that. Uh, I've been in contact with a gentleman out in Olathe, Kansas, who rebuilds Creeder popcorn wagons for a living. And he's willing, he has all the original die cast parts. Like he has the original dies to make original parts. So there are things like decorative finials and pieces that have gone missing on the wagon, including the steam engine has gone missing. Um, And so we're hoping to raise some funds. uh, So, and it's fairly affordable to raise some funds to get those pieces and to continue to make the popcorn wagon. this amazing showpiece for the museum. But it's definitely our best ambassador. When we take it out, people love to see it. Well, people will see it Sunday. They will. Let's take another break. We'll be right back. Hey, Tom Kasich back on Penny for Your Thoughts with our guest, T.J. Blakeman. We've got about 10 minutes left. We've got a couple callers. Lou, you're up next. Yeah, yeah, uh, Tom and T.J., I want a quick story about the the uh, popcorn wagon, it's at a board meeting in the 70s, and we were going to sell it. And this Anita, I think it's Anderson, her uh, family owned the moving company, and I'm drawing a blank on her name. She was passionate about the popcorn wagon. She broke down in tears, and the whole board was trying to decide what what do we do. <laughs> and uh, it, it was... I. I think it was Anita, but I'm not sure. Some of your callers will know. But she really wanted the uh, popcorn wagon saved, and she had to be given credit for getting the job done. And, and then the other crisis was uh, high school kids working with that gas, uh, and so we had to convert it to electricity. And I know it, it hurt the uh, authenticity, but uh, having young people uh, working with gas was kind of difficult. So. Yes, save the popcorn wagon. It's loved. <laughs> yeah, Lou, uh, Neva, Neva Anderson. Um, was, Neva Anderson. Or Neva. Yes, Neva thank Anderson. you, Yeah, so she came, yeah. she came into the story I, I, when I was tracing the history of the popcorn wagon. And, um, yeah, I, I've heard that story, and I actually reached out, I think, to her, some of her relatives and told them about that story, that, that uh, impassioned speech that she gave. And so uh, yeah. I have heard that story that as well. awesome. Yeah, it takes well, passion, I, I right? I just wanted to say, what's that? I said it takes passion. It takes people who are passionate about it these things to save passion. things. Absolutely. And, TJ, you have that passion, and we're going to back you all the way. I appreciate okay. that. Thanks, Good boy, Lou. Lou. Thanks for your call, Thank Lou. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Got a call on line two. Richard, you're up. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Richard. Yeah, uh, that's Richard Revell from Winter Haven, Florida. Uh, the popcorn wagon, I remember, it goes back to about 1949. I remember the 
my grandma took my brother and I downtown Champaign, and uh, that was the first time I remember ever seeing it. And she got us a, a nickel bag of popcorn, and uh, I just wanted to call and let everybody know that it really bought brought back some uh, great memories just listening to you guys this morning so where where was the popcorn leg wagon located ah uh, yeah i was on about probably five something like that uh four or five it was on the corner of uh neil and church street i'm yep. pretty sure yep that's his spot you know, and this is yeah. what's this is what the thing with this popcorn wagon it invokes such an emotional response for people. I, unlike anything else we have in our collection, that this story is repeated numerous times. When we take it out, we hear this all the time. You know, I remember as a kid, it meant so much to people uh, to go down and oh, get this yeah. bag of popcorn. And yeah, I, I didn't even know it was still around. It is, and well, I hope when next time you're visiting from Florida, I hope that it coincides with one of our events, and you're able to get that bag of popcorn again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for the memories. Thank you for the Thanks call. Thanks for calling, Richard. How much okay, is a bag bye. of popcorn now? Well, we have to charge two dollars <laughs> a bag. It, yeah. it, 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 we'll call it inflation. Yeah. But um, you know, we we have to. We don't usually make a ton of money on the popcorn wagon. It's not the big fundraising effort. It's more, like I said, an our ambassador. Right. But we want to try to make money, and we, we're trying to raise money now to bring some of those historic pieces back. So if anybody out there in the community wants to donate some money to that cause, we think it'll take about $5,000 to um, to bring back the decorative elements, to have it done right, um, and and bring it back. We, we actually um, discovered recently, thanks to the gentleman in Olathe, Kansas, uh, we found the picture – of the wagon when it rolled off the assembly line or out of the factory in Chicago. And it's just beautiful. And so we're going to try to find the pieces that we can to get it back uh, to replace some of the pieces that have gone missing. And Lou is absolutely right. You can't expect people to run a steam popper. They are steam motors. They're under pressure. They There have been stories yeah. in the paper <laughs> about popcorn wagons exploding. That is actually a thing. So no fault uh, there. We would love to find the original motor. Uh, the original steam motor, because we'd like to make it electrically work in the window. But part of that $5,000 would actually also get us a replica made from the original parts to put it in our window so that you can see kind of what it looked like. All right, we have another caller on line one. Carol, you're up. Yes, good morning, guys. Good morning. Well, the gentleman in Florida goes back 10 years beyond what I can remember. (laughs) But in 1960, people used to go downtown every Friday night as we did, and we had a little two-year-old boy, and the truck then parked at Park and Neal. Mm-hmm. Walgreens was there. Absolutely. And, uh, I know I know Walgreens was there for several yes. years because I have yeah. a memory of that. Well, the west side of Neal, uh, there was not much of a drop-off when you stepped off of the curb. And we were playing with him, and each one of us, my husband and I, had his arm swinging. And so we crossed over to the east side of Neal, to go to Blum's, which was there by the alley, the present alley, you know, that has the mm-hmm. restaurants. And the curb was like twice as high. <laughs> we dislocated his arm. Oh, and no. We went to the hospital, and it was back in the day where they believed you. They didn't ask us, you know, what happened. <laughs> but uh, when I saw the truck then, X number of years later, at the Taste of Champagne, where my sister took me, 
I was just I was just so happy to see that truck. You would have thought I was six instead of sixty-five. Oh, that's great. Well, it's good that it doesn't bring back memories of the dislocated shoulder, yeah. but but the the, right. the the good memories. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you for calling, Carol. Okay, we have a few more minutes with TJ. Why don't you go over again what uh, what you've Plans had a, your little audible you had a call today and what, what's going to be going on this weekend? Yes, if you're just joining us, um, I, at the top of the hour I was mentioning that we've decided to move our 50th anniversary celebration from Saturday to Sunday because of the weather. We should have beautiful sunny weather with 66-degree temperatures on Sunday. I apologize to those people who are expecting it on Saturday. Uh, we will get more information on our website this morning. Um, but any, if you had a ticket and you want a refund for that ticket, we will give you a refund. If you want to move that uh, tour to Sunday, we certainly will honor that. And we'll give you flexibility. If you have to choose a different tour time, uh, you can do that as well. But uh, we will still have a full day of events from our flag raising ceremony at 10 o'clock to our tours beginning at 10, noon, 2, and 4. We'll have lemon shake-ups, we'll have birthday cake, we'll have the popcorn wagon, and, of course, we'll have tours of the museum itself, and we hope people come out and show their support for the Champaign County History Museum. So in preparation for this show, I put together a list of questions about what was going on in Champaign County, Champaign-Urbana, in 1972, the year the History Museum opened and the year TJ was negative nine years old. (laughs) So uh, I, I have thirteen. I'm only going to read off one, and this this is to this has. I don't want to cast any aspersions on the planning department of the city of Champagne, oh, sure. but here's the question: mm-hmm. Who was the Champagne Plan Commissioner who was indicted in 1972 for taking a three thousand dollar bribe in exchange for his favorable favorable vote? on the rezoning of the Century, the Century 21, 21 property. Ah, um, Tom, your questions are tough. This is from a man who does, <laughs> yeah. who knows history in this community from the newspaper much better than I do. Uh, I don't mean to stump you, but it's just such a fascinating no, it, story, right? it is a right? fascinating story. Can you story. believe that happening? Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that, that's how that high-rise was built. You know, there, again, a lot of shadiness. I wasn't around for yeah. that time. Um, I, don't re- I don't remember the name. His name was Tommy Drish. Tommy Drish. I, and I... I don't know of Tommy Drish except for that little piece of history. But there was a lot of stuff going on in, in 1972 about that building. Like, yeah. they were operating without a liquor license. And, yeah. Ugh. Well, you know, that was that was think about the progress that that building was kind of represented. This big oh, yeah. high rise yeah. going up in the middle of town. Yeah. That was that hadn't happened before at the city building or some yeah. church spire was probably the tallest building in town at right. that point. So, right. right. Uh, yeah, a lot of interesting things going on in the community in, in the late uh, 60s and early 70s. A lot of building, a lot of construction, a lot of growth. Um, that was definitely a period of transition for the community. And, yeah. and maybe that's why the community felt like, because it was changing so quickly, maybe that's a reason why they felt it was important to, to build a history museum, to hold on to that uh, history and that heritage. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, thanks for coming in, TJ. It's been great to have you here. It's I my appreciate pleasure. your time, and uh, we're going to take yeah good good luck this weekend. Thank we're you. We're going to take another break right now. Hey, we're back on Penny for your thoughts. Tom Kasich and Jim Rosso filling in for Brian Barnhart on Penny this 
the, uh, the last two days. So but we have no guest for the second hour. Thanks to T.J. Blakeman. We had a great first hour talking about the Champaign County History Museum. Now we're going to do the, a first in the history of radio. <laughs> we're going True. to we're going to do the mailbag on the radio. We're we're uh, wondering if people have questions that they want answered and they haven't been able to remember to get to the to the website in time to uh, send it in. So if you have any questions for the mailbag, we can we'll see if we can answer them now, or maybe just. Hold them up and answer them in future weeks. Tom's mailbag, uh, for those wondering, uh, about to celebrate its 10th anniversary, <laughs> right? Can you believe that, Tom? Um, yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's Tom's nemesis in a way. Uh, comes out every uh, uh, Friday at 2 p.m. at newsgazette.com, and then a lot of our audience waits to the print edition on Saturday uh, to get that full page of answers. It didn't start as a full page. It started as... Basically, like one question. So I dug up, Tom, uh, your first mailbag, December 21st, 2013. Right before Christmas. Can you, and you ended what a it gift. With, <laughs> you ended it with Merry Christmas, uh, everyone. And there were a bunch of fake questions, right? They were yes, basically my, planted. My son wrote one <laughs> about hockey. <laughs> Wanted to know if the Blues were going to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. And you said probably not. Yeah, which was and, true. And you were right. But yeah. uh, the mailbag has come a long way uh, since that humble beginning. But you are really the father of the mailbag. Well, I am uh, the relative of the mailbag. You are the I? one that came up with the idea. <laughs> and now uh, it's funny. You see everybody's It's kind of morphed into these spotted uh, Facebook pages that everybody has their own yeah, every, kind of every little mailbag. Or church or yeah. – Sure. And yeah. I think uh, – but it's uh, – you'd be amazed by the interest that uh, – we still get uh, online. Uh, the numbers are incredible, and there's interest, and we appreciate it, Tom, for you digging, digging around, snooping around to get those answers. <laughs> hey, guess what? We have a caller. Excellent mailbag question. All maybe. right, Eric, go ahead. Hey, Tom. Yeah, I, I frequently ask you questions on the mailbags. <laughs> you probably would recognize me if I if you saw me or you saw my name anyway. But um, you always get asked about that Golden Corral. Uh, that's not my main question, but what's the what's the story with that that you keep hearing and getting asked about? Okay, well, you know, there, we used to get calls, I mean, uh, we used to get emails about Golden Corral and White Castle and Avanti's and what else? There were uh, all these restaurants that people wanted in champagne or raising canes and uh, yeah raising canes that's another one and uh so i would occasionally write you know email or call uh uh golden corral down in raleigh north carolina and at one point they were going to build they had a building permit to build out on in north champagne up by what's now rural king and then uh something happened and we never really know you know there's rumors but uh, it was. It's a terrible spot where they had bought the property. It's, it's sunken, and I. I don't. You know, it was a fran a franchiser that really bought it, not not the company. So, my son lives in Raleigh, and one day, uh, well, not one one day, but we were we visit down there three or four times a year. We were we were down there, and we, he lives like 
four miles from the headquarters of Golden Corral. So my <laughs> wife and I went over over there and took a picture of me leaning up against the sign. And then she goes, why don't you just go in? And I said, no, I'm not going to go in there. Then look, you know, look like an idiot. I'm not dressed properly. She's like, oh, we're, this. So anyway, we go in there and wait. And we talk to the PR person. And she couldn't believe that somebody would do this. And so, uh, you know, she responded later that, you know, they was still, still intended to come to Champaign, but, you know, it, it never happened. And I don't, you know, the way things are now, it's it's difficult to reopen restaurants or even open them. So I think if it ever happens, it's going to be several years away from now. But that's how it all happened, and including the sign that somebody put up in front of my house on April 1st that says future site of Golden Corral. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing, too, about the area that I've always thought about that I'm surprised that uh, we don't have any um, of the large truck stops around Champaign. We have three major interstates. We have the one little little road ranger on the north side of town. And I just thought, you know, they just built the Loves down in Tuscola. Right. They built one out in Oakwood. How well that would do, you know, when you've got three interstates intersecting right here. I mean, they'd be full all the time every day. So. That's something I'm surprised has never developed I would, around here. I would guess that's because the land prices are too high in town, especially along 74. Mm. But there was a – we had a story about yeah. – a mailbag question about 74 and uh, Neil. Yep. Somebody was going to put in a big uh, gas station there, and I can't remember who it was. That was just a couple months yeah. ago. Yeah. Well, it might have been a lot. Oh, that was um, Quick Trip. Quick, quick trip. trip, yes. Mm-hmm. Very good, yeah. So yeah, they're very good actually in the St. Louis area. You got everything you could ever want. <laughs> and I hear about these place the place in uh Texas, Bucky's. Bucky's is just like everything is huge and you, you know you have like 100 gas pumps and 100 toilets in each uh bathroom is just uh I don't know if that's ever going to happen here but yeah, it's it's a you know, that's our culture now. Big big big. The, the last question I want to ask Tom if you had a second, uh, last question I wanted to ask was, I know a while back there was discussion in the mailbag or somewhere about um, Prospect being widened. When we, they didn't even ask for it to happen, but I guess it was going to be widened, um, you know, between like University or Church Street North, I think. Um, and I wondered if you had any update on that or follow-up on that. You know, I think, I think IDOT still has plans to do that. Uh, it's not. It's not going to be particularly wider but you know it's not going to be a, another lane but it w- they were just going to widen the, the street a little bit so that's uh okay that's something we'll be checking in for next week i'll try to get an update on that all right anything else eric no that'll be all thanks. okay thanks for calling boy if there's a street that needs widening it's prospect I agree. all right and yeah. it's <laughs> I got some other uh, driving down Prospect last night, Tom. I noticed uh, some movement, some activity outside the Ice House, which is a frequent oh yeah uh, mailbag question. Um, that bar, that iconic skinny bar uh, by the railroad tracks. Yeah, and I had uh, a real nice conversation with the woman who owned that and was hoping to reopen it. So that that that'd be good news. Yeah, if, if that uh, that happens again. Oakwood and Tuscola seem to be, as uh, Eric said, the the dominant uh, players in the the truck stop business. It's stunning how Oakwood has three, right? Yeah, yeah. In close proximity, and, yeah, and right Tuscola with the new loves is 
Yeah. It's stunning how busy that is. Yeah. You know, there used to be a big truck stop in Tuscola. Okay. Uh, Dixie Truck yep. Home or Truck. Used to have breakfast there with yeah. uh, with uh, old sports writer here in, in at the News Gazette, Lou Engel. Yeah. Uh, took me to breakfast there, and Lou's in town this weekend. Uh, still doing well for those who are big prep uh, sports fans. Yeah, remember Lou. You see Lou, say hi to him this weekend. What's he in town for? Anything particular? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, he has family still here. Family event in town. Yeah, I think he's living in Nebraska and uh, getting gets back every now and then. It's amazing, Tom, how many News Gazette alumni uh, still come back and are still in town. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be worth uh, some digging up and Could seeing how many people there are. Sometime. Yeah. Okay, I think we have a second caller. Scott is on line one. Go ahead, Scott. Hey, uh, good morning, you guys. Morning. Sound like you get a lot of, a lot of calls right now. So I'm going to bring up something that's probably useless, but you might have an idea. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You're talking. <laughs> these, are, these are the people to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you brought up prospect. I was always thinking. You know, you're talking about widening it. I don't think that's ever going to get done. But I was thinking maybe you could just put a turn lane in the middle and uh, uh, keep the flow of traffic going both north and south, but get the turn lanes out of the way of everybody. I don't know if Tom knows anything about IDOT or if they've ever thought about that or not. I could ask them. So you're talking about mainly maybe from Kirby up to... Bradley or something like that? Well, probably. Well, like you said, from uh, Springfield maybe to yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, wherever it's widened up there by the interstate. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know there's a lot of traffic up there, but, I mean, I think the flow of traffic would be a lot better there, but I don't know. So you're just asking you know, if it would be better to have a, yep. fi- a middle lane, a fifth lane, just for turning. A, a, thir- a third lane for turning in the middle. Yeah. To keep the two other lanes going north and south. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. That well, way it wouldn't be such a bad, uh, uh, big project trying to ride those. Excuse me. Got a motorcycle going mm-hmm. by. Yeah. Uh, trying to change those curves that much. All right. That's all I got. Yeah, that's great. Way. Thanks for calling, Scott. De- desperately need turn right, lanes bye. here. I would argue when uh, you're going prospect uh, north to church or prospect south to university that's where you need those turn lanes you just uh, it's a nervous wreck as you yeah. wait to look in your rearview mirror hoping that guy behind you is stopping right and not gonna he's ram getting, you as you wait to turn it's getting pretty close slow down buddy <clears throat> okay you know we also had um some questions that i was going to ask tj blakeman but we got behind so it was about uh, 50 years ago in town, and I will ask Jim this mm. one. Great. Uh, I'm just going to wing it on this one. Right. I'm not, this is All not right. one of the 1972. Who, who were the champions of the baseball? and Who played in the 1972 World Series? Oh, uh, Reds? Yes. All right. Beat the uh, loss to the A's. Yep. Yeah, boom. Reggie Jackson. Better than, than that, though. Who are the number two teams? Who who did the A's beat and who did the, the Reds, Reds beat? beat this the, is, well, the A's beat the Tigers. Yes. All right. There's a, famous, there's a famous fight in that 
where Burt Campaneras threw the bat at the pitcher. He didn't wait to punch him. He threw the bat. Yeah. I remember. Because he threw, he threw a pitch in, low and inside and yeah. hit him in the ankle or Did something. He? All right. Yeah. The Reds, uh, boy, you got me on that this'll, one. This will blow you away. Uh, the, but remember who was really good in the 70s. What team in the East? Uh, Mets? The Pirates. Mm, all right. The, no. You know, it could have been a Pirates-Tigers World Series. Dang it. Yeah. All right. All right, we're going to take a little break, uh, get back to you uh, right after these messages. News Talk 1400 at 93.9 FM. Tom Kasich and Jim Rasso in doing Penny for Your Thoughts today and uh, replaced to uh, substitute for Brian Barnhart. He'll be back Monday. Uh, we're taking calls. Uh, if you have any mailbag questions that you've been meaning to ask, they're meaning to email, uh, this is your chance to just call in. Uh, and uh, get that taken care of. We'll try to answer them now or in a future mailbag. 356-9397 is the number. We're also doing 1972 questions. Okay, I've got this one. This is my favorite Mm -hmm. for Jim. He he already knows the answer, but this is fascinating to me. In December of 1972, what CBS TV program was banned from the airwaves by WCIA and its sister station, WMBD in Peoria. It was a network show, and they refused to show it. That's my, this is not the answer, but that's my Columbo era. <laughs> I loved I loved me some Columbo. That was my dad's favorite show, Did right? Did you watch Our All in the Family? I didn't much. No, okay. Yeah, I missed that one. Well, you, so. you were, yeah, you were more just wi- seven years old. So Wild Kingdom. About? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On Sunday nights, I think. Well, anyway, there was a show called Maud with B. Arthur, and Channel 3 refused to show the show because it dealt with abortion and Maud's husband, who was thinking about having a vasectomy. And so there was, it was a two-part episode, and it didn't, it didn't show here in Champaign-Urbana. Okay, uh, we have one caller, and then we're gonna right after that we'll go to a break. Mark, you're on the you're on the line one. Good morning. I am curious as to um, your columnist. Uh, two weeks ago, um, your Sunday columnist um, published something rather erroneous when he reported that uh, Chief Finney. Uh, was ultimately responsible for the death of Kiwan Carrington, which the FBI, the Illinois State Police, Champaign County State's Attorney, and others all disputed that story, yet he wrote it as it was absolutely a fact. Three days later, Jim Dye writes a story that refutes everything that he says. And I'm just wondering, why is this columnist allowed to write things that are patently untrue. Everybody criticizes the president for the stolen election claim, and yet when somebody puts out that um, one person shot and killed someone else when it was physically impossible for him to have done it because, wait for it, there were different caliber of weapons involved in the incident, and yet the News Gazette publishes that and i find and i found i find his columns to be extremely decisive within the community uh he absolutely hates the police and brings up discredited theories and yet you continue to publish that without saying this is wrong 
I'm just curious, and I'll hang up and listen, but I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are on that issue, because it's clear that that is not his his statement or his column was nowhere based in fact. So okay. thank you, Thanks for and the I'll call. hang up and listen. Uh, well, I, I'm sorry, but I don't have anything to do with that. I and I. I think if you read uh, what the columnist wrote, it wasn't as strong uh, as what Mark uh, said. There was, and uh, keep in mind, it's a column. It's uh, it's in the commentary section where people have different opinions, uh, right or wrong, uh, that are published uh, in an attempt to get as many different viewpoints and voices as we can. Uh, in the paper um, that's the intent of that section and uh, certainly uh, we won't uh, print uh, untruths if uh, we know of that and uh, maybe take another uh, check at how the wording went he I think he, he brought up something that had been discussed during the investigation uh, is how I uh, read that and we've it's been subject to a number of letters to the editor since then uh, siding with Mark uh, as far as uh, what they thought was right. Good. All right, we're going to take another break. And, uh, oh, wait, I have to uh, read this. We're going to have a news break brought to you by Luther Falls Custom Kitchens, Granite and Quartz, prices starting at just $35 per square foot installed, 2706 North Mattis Avenue, Champaign. Visit online at lutherfalls.com. This is Bloomberg. Hey, we're back on Penny for Your Thoughts. It's Tom Kasich and Jim Rosso. We've got about 20 more minutes to talk about any mailbag questions you want to get in, in uh, on, on the phone that you can call in and suggest or ask us. And we'll try to get on them either today or next week. The number is 356-9397. You can also text... Two one seven three five one five three five seven. We also have a couple more um, nineteen seventy two questions to ask. Here, here's a neat, neat one. I thought, why was there a forty percent increase in the need for blood in Champaign Urbana in nineteen seventy two? All of a sudden, the, the hospitals needed a bunch more blood than they had in previous years. Two reasons. Burnham Hospital was declared a, tra- a regional trauma center, so they would get all these horrible accident victims from, from all over East Central Illinois. And the second was there were now two open-heart surgery centers at two local hospitals, Mercy and Burnham, mm. both of which no longer exist under that name. But um, I thought that was pretty neat. Had a text question here, Tom, uh, for the mailbag. Uh, wanted to know... What is preventing farmland in between Windsor and Curtis here in Champaign from becoming subdivisions because it is surrounded by subdivisions? If you uh, by the new new yeah. Carl, new, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's zoning or just the owners, but we can look into that too. That's, yeah, all those th- those oh, that big amount of open land. Uh, yeah, still farmland. They're still yep. farming it. And uh, I'd be curious to uh, those spots filling in. Uh, just think where Carl at the Fields was, or is, right? What that used to be. Yep. There's a little, a little, it can't be more than two acres, a tiny little spot in Urbana 
uh, along Windsor Road on the north side, just before you get to Philo Road, mm-hmm. behind a church. And I, I don't know, I, somebody's able to farm that, and I don't know how they do it, how they get the equipment in there. Uh, it's really, I would like to be there sometime to see how they uh, maneuver all that stuff in there. The old Windsor Swim Club uh, yeah. in that yep. neck of the woods. Yep. That never got filled in. Nope. It, uh, the, why was that it's demolished, Tom? And, uh, the, the family that owned it, wanted to get out okay and nobody wanted to take it up and continue it that was a great place <laughs> i mean it, we, we we our family would ride our bikes there to swim you know all hours and it was a wonderful little uh piece of value in the community in the neighborhood had a question uh and we've often pestered you about this other than the golden corral which anytime i go to like a service club they always ask about that <laughs> they really do they say uh tell us golden corral stories and how mad tom gets and when he throws his papers <laughs> up in the air up in the air in the newsroom when he when he gets in that's he all true bad words <laughs> that is true <laughs> but uh curious about your mailbag hall of fame as far as sources go, there's there's a couple that I, I seem to read every week. Yeah, there, uh, Chris Kester at the City of Champaign, he gets probably one at least an average of one a week, and Kenzel Garnett at the at IDOT, he gets a. Although I don't think either of them. Oh, there's, I think there's a question today for Chris, and none for uh, for uh, Kenzel. And Kent Brown at the U of mm-hmm. I gets a lot of questions now too. All right, uh, all the, they're all K's. There must be somebody who's not a K. Who you know, most people are very helpful. Um, most of these public officials and agency heads are are really good about answering these questions. So I I appreciate that. Hey, we have a caller on line one. Uh, I think it's Arthur. Go ahead. Yes, I just, uh, my question is, I wondered if anybody had ever done a, a, a calculation of how many restaurants and businesses have closed down uh, since the pandemic, and just Champaign-Urbana for that matter. I think Jeff We're... Jeff tried to do that once, but it was he admitted it was an incomplete right. list. Uh, so you're talking about restaurants and businesses closed because yeah, of the, I mean, when you go past like old Chicago or old Charlie's or something like that, uh, I just wonder how many of them have actually closed down. I mean, you see, when you go into restaurants, they they can't get people to work. And uh, anyway, I just was curious if they'd ever done a total. Well, we'll look into that. I appreciate the call. Thanks for asking, Arthur, and we'll we'll get on that. Okay, thank you. We did run a list, uh, like you said, an incomplete list, of, but it was devastating, the toll that the pandemic took on restaurants, hard enough business as it is, uh, but in, simply in downtown Champaign for a spell there was... Oh, yeah. Things were closing left and right, and uh, out by the on North Prospect even, and uh, the small mom-and-pop shops uh, in a lot of our rural uh, villages, uh, but it would be a long, long list. The, the thing that is surprising, though, is that places that are open seem to be doing really well. I think a lot changed the way they went about their how they operated, whether it's yeah. uh, pickup or curbside or maybe they cut the cost that way. Uh, like a lot of businesses no longer need physical spots to work, and uh, that's a money saver. And I think people who are dining in are being more generous mm-hmm. based on what I hear from waitstaff that 
that uh, it, it makes it worthwhile to work. Okay, we're going to take another break. We'll be back right after these words. Hey, it's Tom Kasich and Jim Rosso filling in for Brian Barnhart and pay for your thoughts today. Uh, we have a few more minutes to take calls. We've got one right now from Jim. Jim, you're on line number one, and you're on the air. Hi, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Great. Um, I'm wondering if, uh, and I don't want to sound, uh, well, anyway, I'll just ask my question. I'm wondering who's in charge of spelling in the newspaper and or if you would be interested in hiring someone to uh, to take care of that situation for you. If I, if I could see a copy of the newspaper an hour before it's printed, I could go through it. And I'm, t- I'm a subscriber, and I, it's pretty much daily that I see something misspelled in the newspaper. And it's, I wonder how that happens in this day and age. All right. Thanks for your call. Jim's, uh, Jim's getting, hey, we'd love to, you know, we hear this, we got a, a newsroom full of professionals, right, who have been trained to, to uh, do their very best, and that's kind of an old argument I've heard for many, many years. There, there's mistakes in the paper, and I guess my request, Jim, would be, hey, tell me about them. Show me where you're seeing these, and, uh, you know, we, we'll, we'll do our best to, A, fix them, and, and B, prevent that happening again. Uh, I would I would argue his point is what I would do. Yeah, I mean, I know I've misspelled words, and sometimes they get in the paper, and, you know, that's just we all make mistakes. It's, uh, it's, it's In this business, we here are the things we hear every day. You report nothing but bad news, right? And But, again, there my point would be a leaf through the entire paper every day, and you will find good news. Yeah. Not hard to find at all. Yeah. Uh, uh, you guys uh, side with this political party. You side with that political party. And that, uh, again, um, I think there's arguments to be, to be made. And I understand the frustration uh, of, of our readers on certain points, uh, but certainly not all points. Yeah. Uh, well said. And, you know, we, we make mistakes and we try to correct them and we try to, you know, we do catch we catch grammatical and misspellings all the time. So, uh you know, sometimes they get through, and it's we're we're no different than anybody else, uh, any teacher or professional baseball player or uh, whatever. We all we all make mistakes, and we try to learn from those. Uh, we've got about four more minutes. Uh, uh, if there's anybody else with a call about the mailbag, any mailbag questions, three five six nine three nine seven, or text us at three five one five three five seven. What's going on in the paper this weekend? What do you? What's coming up? A lot of uh, you, you look outside and the wind's blowing like like heck right now. Yeah. You know, you got the NCAA tennis tournament in town, and one of the weird things is there's I think there's a certain wind limit, mile per hour limit that they have to abide by where they'll have to move it indoors uh, because I guess tennis is impacted a little bit. Sure, by the sure. wind. Well, plenty of that coverage. State track this weekend is. Uh, is going on in Charleston always a fun one. Tom Kasich's column in Sunday's News Gazette yeah. always a staple. Thank you, Tom, for even in your retirement years for keeping with it. Uh, very important to to have that institutional knowledge as part of our our product still. Uh, okay, hey, we do have a call. Final, probably our final call. Uh, let's start. Uh, I think it's Gail on line one. Go ahead. Uh, good morning. I have a question. Uh, have you heard anything about 
when they're ever going to build uh, or start construction on that new hotel they're supposed to build in Rantoul. Uh, I heard about it about eight, nine months ago, and there's never been any ground broke yet. Hmm. Supposed to be built, supposed to be built out there by the, the Holiday Inn that's out there. Yeah, with or all the, uh, the sports. Yes, by the sports facility. Conference. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, stuff is under development. I mean, it's supposed to happen, but we will check on uh, whether there's any any going to be any construction this year. I know that. Isn't there going to be a restaurant there too? And a uh... we're also there on the corner where the old hotel was that t- tore down. We turned to go to the new sports complex. Mm-hmm. There was supposed to be a strip ball. And, yeah, and, uh, like a Starbucks a coffee shop. Yep, yep. Yeah, nothing's ever happened there yet either. Okay. Well, Gail, right, thanks well, for thank the call. You. We'll look into that. Thank you. All right. Let's take one final break before we come back uh, and end the show. Let's. Breakaway right now. Hey, Tom Kasich and Jim Rosso filling in for Brian Barnhart on Penny Fear Thoughts. We've got about three minutes left. We've been asking, or yeah, asking people to send in mailbag questions that we would attempt to answer on the air or in the paper next week. Uh, one of them, we have a bunch of text here. Do you know how the school bond referendum from Muhammad will read on the June 28th ballot? Uh, Certainly not now, but I will make sure we get that in the mailbag next week. What was the name of the airport on North Mattis as you pass over I-74 in Champaign? I believe that was at one point known as either Tainer or Harris Field. I think it was that was the original Champaign Airport in the in the 1930s before there was a Willard Airport. That was where if you were flying in the Champaign, if you were going to go to a football game at Illinois, or, you know, there were all sorts. The post office had had a uh, airmail service briefly. And then the, there was also a uh, an, an actual airline that, I can't remember the name of it, it, it only lasted a few months, but it, would, it flew from Chicago to Champaign, and I think to Nashville or Memphis, and then to Atlanta. Mm. But uh, that... That's what the airport and, and uh, you know we, was TJ earlier mentioned Mrs. Kinnego her dad and her mom used to fly out of there <laughs> the the Stevic family so uh, that that was a lot of fun and then there was a question about um, why does the Gazette continue to report that IPA is part of the 2016 Unifor referendum. I'm I'm pretty sure we don't report that. I mean, it it came as a result of that referendum, but it was separate money that I believe came from the one percent sales tax that they they use for that. But we'll get into that in the mailbag next week too. We got about an, a minute left, Jim. Anything you want to say before we shove off? Just uh, multiple ways to get a hold of Tom for your questions. Not just the website newsgazette.com. There's Tom's face. Click on. Angrily click on Tom's yeah, face and yeah. you'll get to the, the, the prompt to get. But you can email him. You can call, right, Tom? Yep. You can uh, put signs in your front yard like the <laughs> yeah. Golden Corral people did. Or send a, send an old question by snail mail. We, yeah, do that. Got a, and you still get those. See yep. Tom at a Little League game. He's got grandkids playing ball. It's yep. good to see uh, you out and about or riding to work. Many ways to reach you, Tom. Yep. So uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you for our guests the last two days, and thank you especially to Jim Rosso for sitting in here and 
holding my hand and keeping us from losing our FCC license. It's so been far. a lot of fun, and uh, Brian will be back Monday, and things will be much more professional. <laughs> so we want to say uh, it's uh, this is WDWS, 77 degrees at 11 a.m.